You're listening to The Big Finish Podcast, release date the 3rd of October 2021. This time they had him. Hood only had two of his men with him and the sheriff was backed by ten, all on horseback while the outlaws were on foot. The bloodhounds had lost the scent but that didn't matter. There was no escape. I'm Benji Clifford, he's Nick Briggs and your ears have landed in a world of audio goodness and that's what Big Finish is all about. Oh, I'm yeah. glad. Now I know. Uh, pretty soon now, Benji and I will be chatting about uh, something or other. Yeah, then, of course, it'll be time for our good review guide. This week, it's Torchwood, Lease of Life. In a nutshell, big alien thing probably going to kill us all if I can't stop. <sighs> Following on, we'll be delving into Sherwood Forest with Robin Hood, The Witchfinders, performed by the inimitable Richard Armitage, uh, featuring here in a lovely chat with director... Mark Wright. You have like a Dalek. Yeah, a cross between a Dalek and Zippy from Rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) After that, we're giving listeners' emails a little rest this week. That's right, we're not going to chat about them. Uh, But don't forget to send your emails into podcast at bigfinish.com and we'll be reading them out very soon. Oh, very soon. Then it'll be time to journey back to that superb supernatural series, The Omega Factor. And this week sees the release of Immaculate Possessions, read by series star Louise Jameson. And there's also a Q&A with Louise in this sneak preview. Hello, this is Louise Jameson. The Randomoid Selector Trial will once again be featuring and offering you a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. Okay, newsflash, this isn't my wedding. Nice, and finally we round things off with a free 15-minute tease of Robin Hood, The Witchfinders by Rebecca Levine, performed by Richard Armitage. He may wear the guise of a simple man. But Robin Hood is in league with the devil himself. Sheedy boo. So Nick, uh, I believe it was your 60th birthday last Wednesday. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> yes, no, it wasn't. Yeah, oh, yes, well, yeah, never mind then. Move on, move on, everybody, move on. Yes, uh, of course, Benji, you came to visit... I did, in in the flesh, no less. Yeah, and with uh, Jamie Anderson and my friend Jez Fielder, people might recognise his name from several big Finnish productions, known him for many years. Yeah. We had a good we, old time, didn't we? We did. Probably best not to go into details. <laughs> uh, but yes, well, quite. <laughs> but yes, yeah. some food and some wine. Um, <laughs> but I, I wanted to take this opportunity to thank everyone who sent me birthday wishes on social media. There was a sort of record number uh, and uh, lovely comments. And also uh, to our head of marketing at Big Finish, uh, Steve Berry, who uh, marshaled people to send video messages in for me and joe lee who does lots of our lovely videos uh put in all the work to to put all these clips together and so i had a lovely very moving very funny uh video of of loads of lovely people including yourself benji uh saying nice 
things, some of them not so nice, but in a humorous fashion. You know, <laughs> some people were a bit too cool for school. Uh, but it was, it's just lovely. Uh, the, the only downside was that even though Jamie Anderson did send in his video message within the deadline, they forgot to edit his video message in. <laughs> so Jamie was reduced to sending me his message personally. So, which, which was very nice. So it was fun. Uh, one of the highlights of it was that um, Louise Jameson played Happy Birthday on a piano to me. And she She's had a f- skilled lady, isn't she? I didn't know she'd learned to play the piano. Well, there we go. She's if, a dark if, horse. Yeah, she had her phone right. It started, her phone was clearly on the piano. So all I could see was piano keys and these fingers playing Happy Birthday. And I thought, and then the phone got picked up and it was Louise. <laughs> and I, I didn't tell you as well that the Soundhouse did this amazing full production where they used lots of pictures from the old Dalek strip from TV 21 and had altered the words. And they were all doing the Dalek voices. <laughs> and sort of wow. Like, it was really good. It was great great fun yeah. anyway thanks folks uh, it only happens once in your life uh, many of you listening won't have reached it yet it's a weird time 60 isn't it because when i was a kid people who were 60 like i thought they were well it was like i remember my grandmother being in her 60s and thinking that she was ancient it's a different was, different thing that ages change don't they and and it's the same thing i, I always remember um there's an event called goodwood revival uh, which is in the UK, and it's it's a bit like travelling back in time because everybody there, it's whilst it's not compulsory, it is assumed that you would turn up dressed in some old-fashioned way to accommodate. And so the idea is of surreal like the way I dress, or like time. the way you dress. But it's it's a very <laughs> bizarre experience because when you're there, everybody is dressed in period. So it's it's you feel wow. like you've gone back in time, and it's absolutely incredible. But I remember my dad, who at this point would have been probably in his early fifties. He had to wear, you know, he was wearing a tweed suit and, and some a nice flat cap and some glasses. And I remember I looked at him and I thought, you just look ancient. And he looked at him, he just, he couldn't believe how he looked. Because of the way in which he was wearing everything, the style, he just, he looked a completely different person. Whereas normally you wouldn't even think it at all. And that's the thing, I think ages, the, the marks of ages change and it will change in my lifetime you know yeah. already now you see people i mean get this like ringo Starr. he's what 80 i think he's 81 years old yeah and yeah. He, you look at ringo so he does not look 80 paul mccartney's you know it's people people now are just that that age range is gone and so yeah 60 you, you know it's fine it's all good man I think the thing that, uh, and this is possibly something people don't want to know, but the thing that saves you from looking old is a little bit of, for men anyway, a little bit of grooming. A little bit of male grooming, yes. Eyebrows and ears. Eyebrows, ears, nose, all that kind of stuff. If you do a little bit of that, then that, yeah. If you let all that go, then you really start looking your age. (laughs) Anyway. Wonderful. There we go. That that was... was, uh, Age advice there from old man Briggs, sixty. Uh, advice. <laughs> lives in Rill. No, he doesn't. Um, time now for our good review guide, finding the latest positive comments about Big Finish Productions to help recommend them to you. Oh, to and me, to you. <laughs> Thank you, uh, little guest appearance by the Chuckle Brothers there. This week, as promised, it's the Torchwood Lease of Life. Here we are. Lot of potential. 
So it's uh, two bedrooms officially, though one's on the small side. I like to think of that as uh, bijou. <laughs> From Big Finish Productions, Torchwood, Lease of Life. Estate agent? Uh, temporarily. For heaven's sake! Is milk off? Nobody ever bloody checks. <laughs> oh, what is that smell? The drains, it's fine, it comes and goes. Uh, the mould, is it always this bad? When it's Nye's turn to clean the bathroom, yes. Look, mate, I've had enough of this. What's going on? Are we in danger? Not if I can find the source in time. Source? It, it's mould. It grows in the dam. Yeah, this is not just any old mould. In a nutshell, big alien thing probably going to kill us all if I can't stop it. You said it had defences. It does. I'm really not looking forward to what it does next. I think it's about time I call for backup. Big Finish. We love stories. Just go to bigfinish.com and type lease of life into the search pane at the top to get yourself yet another slice of Torchwood goodness. First up, uh, the doctorwhocompanion.com Ida Wood says, It's horrible but brilliant, and possibly one of these moments that is just screaming for a sequel. Wow. Warpedfactor.com, uh, Tony Filer. Interestingly, it was mistyped as Tony Flyer. <laughs> I just reminded myself there. Uh, lease of life. Tony Filer, of course, uh, is um, Bill Filer's son. <laughs> from the claws of Axos. Uh, I'm still not aware whether Tony knows we're making this joke about his name. I, I feel bad about it. Write in and let us know, Tony, if it's okay. Uh, Lease of Life is a rollicking adventure of seemingly natural, rapidly advancing threat against which there appears to be no defence. In that sense, it's a classic pulp fiction horror story with a Torchwood twist. What elevates it above even great pulp is that is that Torchwood twist, the characterization of Owen trying to herd the cats of the housemates before everything goes spectacularly mouldy. That voice of increasing desperation as the options narrow and the inevitability of the mould engulfing everything gives the story a modern rawness that will get your pulse racing and have you pulling on your rubber gloves. And Tony always writes a lovely review. It just He has such a lovely... Um, turn of phrase i give that review 11 out of nine and a half pretty pretty decent actually <laughs> well we'll see how baz greenland fares yes, He's from the uh, digitalfix.com yeah. lease of life is an unpleasant horror done in a very entertaining manner oh. it does what torture does best putting very real characters in everyday situations with a horror twist and ramping it up to 10. Uh, one thing is for certain, you'll never look at that damp patch on your wall the same way again. Mm. Brilliant, brilliant. That's another one. I, I give that review right eight out of seven and a half. Uh, Magicwho.com, <laughs> Julia Tibbet says, it's a story that starts off a little slow, but once it gets going, becomes totally engrossing and sometimes very gross. Ooh, play on words there. The script from Aaron Lamont is wonderfully creepy. Bern Gorman was amazing as always, bringing depth and charm to a character it is hard to like, but easy to love. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, that's me, I think. Yeah. Uh, this is another great addition to Torchwood's monthly range. Brilliant review there from Julia. That's definitely a 10 out of 1. 
He's getting worse by the minute. Uh, Coldbox for Code UK, Rich Cross, uh, son of Poor Nort. Um, there, that's Nort's and Cross's gag, there, you see. Gag on Rich and Poor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just very good, very good. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. uh, without giving anything away, the end game of Lease of Life has an understated bleakness, which leaves the listener wondering how they might react to a similar ultimatum. Oh. As the first anniversary of the national COVID lockdown passes, the terror of being stuck at home whilst the killer infection threatens to bring down the world could scarcely have more salience. Uh, fortunately, Lease of Life is a thoroughly diverting work of fiction, uh, ideal for enjoying on a socially distanced walk in the fresh air and sunshine of the great outdoors. Well, we are approaching October, so I can't see that happening. Um, <laughs> this is a four and a half star review right there, or if you will, five stars, and one of them is uh, sort of split down the middle. That's that's what I would say. <laughs> that's that, yeah. Um, uh, uh, interesting. It, it is already... Uh, October, by the way, Benji. We're not approaching October. Of course it is. Yes, it is. Yes. Oh, well, it have been I'm, the third when this is happening. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very tired. I'm uh, very tired. Also, uh, uh, I'd like to go back because uh, you, yes, actually, I, I, I you actually read out over everybody. That, well, it's all right. I'll, re- I'll read out the one that you were meant to read out. Um, Thank you very much. Uh, this is from IndieMacUser.co.uk. Jacob Licklider says, Lease of Life is an emotional hour-long horror story from a writer who is finally allowed to step outside of his customary range. A director who understands exactly how to bring horror to the forefront and four performers who are all brilliant at bringing these characters especially the one-off characters to life a must have that will resonate with everyone 10 out of 10 which funnily enough coincides with my exact mark for this review as well it's good isn't it this is getting, this is a this is a real cracker this, it's a real it's, it's a cracker it is it's a christmas cracker in a non-christmas themed story um, sci-fi bulletin.com Paul Simpson here says after a slow start a very strong tortured episode 9 out of 10 simples yeah. I Simple, think that, I think things should start slowly though don't you I think I don't think that's a criticism well but, you know it's, it's slow you know slow burner and then slowly ramp up that's what you want isn't it yeah slow burner high earner on Twitterama at Juttersherlocked uh, hashtag tortured lease of life was a brilliant piece of drama with many great character moments but also with some of the best brackets in a disgusting way close brackets audio body horror anyone else feel like their teeth are falling out <laughs> dot 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 question mark yeah. I don't know what you mean <laughs> no, I, don't think, I don't think mine are I, I think you're alright you oh, horribly Red Coat Chazzles says the blurb paints this story as a standard tortured fair with Owen. It isn't. My God, it's not. This is the audio version of Junji Ito manga uh, with uh, multiple levels of grotesque horror. Uh, worth the listen if you have the stomach. Poor Nye, uh, 8 out of 10. Oh, have mm. you got the stomach? I have got the stomach. It is what my food goes into. At Green Lantern 44 says, So Tortured Lease of Life from Big Finish is an amazing hour-long horror story. If you have a certain recurring nightmare, it will be blood-curdling. Check it out. My blood is uh, successfully curdled there. Um, yeah, well, you know, yeah. That's it for reviews this week. Uh, more next time when we take a look at Doctor Who Stranded 2 featuring Paul McGann as the Doctor. 
coming up soon. It won't be listeners' emails. Uh, but first, we go behind the scenes with Robin Hood, The Witchfinders, as director Mark Wright talks to actor Richard Armitage. So, Richard, uh, back to Robin Hood, uh, straight from Spooks, uh, which must have been quite um, a a gear change, really. Yeah, they were back to back as well, which was quite a challenge. Um, And I think if I hadn't already had Guy of Gisborne up and running, it wouldn't have really been possible. But um, no, it was great to to come from something very contemporary and modern and into something which I know very well and is uh, heightened and fun and uh, exciting, but were you quite taken aback by Guy's, um, should we say, change of image? Yeah, I, I mean, I really wanted to to destroy him, kind of physically. I wanted to get the old costume and tear it to shreds and and uh, deconstruct him. But there was a new um, designer in who 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 obviously wanted to to create a new image for for most of the characters, and uh, we worked together to to try and retain some of the old guy but but give him a sort of new lease of life and I, I imagined that on their way back from the Holy Land that the boat sort of stopped in Venice and they all <laughs> ended up going to uh, to a tailor who, who created these quite uh, quite different looks for them. You could have had the outlaws and Guy yeah. and the Sheriff all well, there at the same well, time. Guy and the Sheriff got there that. first and then word got back to the outlaws so, so <laughs> not to be outdone they all kind of pitched up at the same tailor. <laughs> Um, how did you feel about the the death of Marion, uh, which we've touched on in one of the stories we've recorded today? Um, I, it was controversial at the time it, when I opened the script and, and, and when we found out it was going to happen. I was really kind of taken aback. It was like a punch in the face. And I did question the writer, but uh, it was Dominic who'd, who'd written it, Dominic Mangella. But he... You know, they they decided they wanted uh, a storyline that would would really rock Robin's world, and uh, that was what they came up with. And and actually, it it's sort of opened up a vein for for series three for both Robin's character and my character, uh, which without that storyline, without that sacrifice, uh, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been the same. Series three, they would have it couldn't perpetuate that that love triangle. So, and, and in actual fact, I think. By the end of series three, every, everything falls into place. So um, it's it, it does pan out rather well, I think. Um, did you do, um, in terms of coming to season three in the first couple of episodes, where Gisburn is kind of consumed? I mean, he blames Robin for Marion's death, but really, as we all know, he is to blame. He plunged the sword. How did you, did you do any preparation for that um, as you were working towards season three? Um uh, yeah, I suppose I, in order to to actually get to that moment at the end of season two, I had to, I, c- I couldn't find a way to make Guy do that voluntarily. So I, it had to be a sort of crime of passion. It had to be an involuntary action. And, and actually, because, because I had to uh, rationalise that within the character, in a way that's what the character is doing for himself. And the, and the, the answer to the equation that he comes out with is... Um, you know, X plus Y equals Robin, you made me do it. So, um, but the, the whole notion of Marion haunting him was was the starting point. Uh, it's at the beginning of series three. And I did have the preparation was that it was exactly w- w- similar to one of the stories we've just read, which was that Guy was 
you know, that Marion lived in the corner of his bedroom and would talk to him all the way through the night and keep him awake. And actually, he didn't go to sleep and he, he, he started drinking to sort of numb the pain. And, uh, and that was where I began. And he turned into a bit of a car crash, somebody that was so fearful of sleep uh, that he was wired which we've kind of touched on in, in, in The Witch Finders. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've enjoyed about what we've done today is how you read all the different voices of the characters, especially Keith Allen. You've yeah. clearly spent a lot of time <laughs> on set with Keith. That uh, Keith's voice uh, is what sits in the corner of my bedroom. <laughs> Keith haunts me in my sleep. He keeps me awake. No, it's uh, I think because we've we worked very closely together uh, and we've spent a lot of time laughing and... Uh, uh, you know, really, without the sheriff of Nottingham, there is no Guy of Gisman. It's like uh, the, 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 that character is completely dependent on on Guy's existence. And uh, yes, it's it's firmly embedded in somewhere in my brain. <laughs> you describe it. You do it like a Dalek. Yeah, a cross between a Dalek and Zippy from Rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've got some of the other cast coming in to do some of the CDs. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping you all get quite competitive with how you do impressions of each other. Yes, well, I mean, I'm not very good at, at impressions, but um, I, I know for a fact that both Jonas and Sam have a fantastic impression of uh, Joanne Froggart, who plays the character of Kate, which they w- would do uh, in front of her in stereo, and it's it's absolutely brilliant. So I, I look forward to hearing their <laughs> versions of Kate. Oh, we will definitely have to get that down on tape. <laughs> Well, just go to bigfinish.com and type in Robin Hood to find yourself in the depths of Sherwood Forest with all six audiobook adventures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't forget that we'll be teasing you with the first 15 minutes of The Witch Finders at the end of this podcast. So, Nick, I believe we're giving listeners' emails a rest this week. Yeah. Oh, is that them? Yeah, that's good. They are. Don't disturb. Tired, weren't they? Having a rest. We are, but uh, don't forget to keep sending your emails to podcast at bigfinish.com. Time now for another preview. This time it's the Omega Factor with Louise Jameson reading Immaculate Possessions. Louise also features in a QA after this rather lovely tease. The Omega Factor Immaculate Possessions. Written by Natasha Gerson, narrated by Louise Jameson. Dedicated to the real Professor Shand, who died suddenly last May, just as this book was beginning. Aileen McGregor felt a distinct chill in the air as she waited quietly in the Jardin des Plantes. She was in the lower level area of the park, which was dedicated to mountain plants of many nations from the beautiful Swiss gentian to the menacing Venus flytrap. A beautiful spot in the daytime, shaded with dappled sunshine, the alpine garden somehow assumed a more sinister aspect in the darkness. Aileen pulled her thin woolen coat tightly around her slight body. She wasn't yet exactly sure why she was there. Parts of her memory were shrouded in a sort of mist rather like the one rising from the man-made pond in the corner of the garden nearby. She recalled when it all began, this strange, strange business. 
A few months ago, her life had been remarkable for its ordinariness. The daughter of a Scottish miner and a French schoolteacher, she had been brought up as a strict Catholic. At 19, she had accepted a scholarship to the Sorbonne, but remained a staunchly religious, well-behaved young woman. Nothing distracted her from her studies, until that one particular Sunday. Hello, this is Louise Jameson, who way back in the day played Anne Reynolds in The Omega Factor. It's really delightful to revisit that particular character. I I never felt that we'd quite finished. I thought there were several series to be had out of that particular uh, title, and I'm very sad that it that it didn't go forward. I think Mary Whitehouse had something to do with not taking it further, so I'm absolutely thrilled that um, Natasha Gerson gave the okay for Big Finish to pick up the mantle and run with it. So not only have we done um, a series uh, with a full cast, but we also do these novels, and yeah, I'm thrilled to be involved and flattered. I love this script. It goes to some very dark places. I think it's an incredibly brave script. I think it's a very filmic text. Uh, I could really see this transferring to camera in a in a very uh, beautiful way. Um, Natasha has a knack of de- describing locations uh, with attention to detail that's quite poetic. I've enjoyed reading this. I, I, I must confess to feeling slightly uneasy about reading all those names that describe the devil in such a string. Uh, it just goes on and on and on, that particular paragraph. I just think, oh, am I going to bring myself some bad luck here? Just go to bigfinish.com and type immaculate into the search pane at the top to find this great audiobook release. Also, why not treat yourself to the Omega Factor full cast dramas? Yeah, uh, if you've never tried it, here's a tease now. Help me! Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Listen. Omega. The last letter of the Greek alphabet. The end. In this case, the end of scientific knowledge. We are asking you to go further than that end. Beyond the end. To the Omega factor. And further. Dr. Anne Reynolds, I called ahead earlier today. We're here from the Ministry of Defence. Adam, Tom Crane was my father. Here to lead us into temptation, are you, Adam? Uh, No, I'm here to tell you your church might be haunted. Ah, he's got the sight. What? I can tell. Like father, like son. Twilight and evening bell. And after that, the dark. I very much believe in the existence of the old gods more than you can possibly know. Let me out! Her voice. What's wrong with it? And may there be no sadness of farewell when I embark. The Omega Factor. Big Finish.
We love stories. <laughs> Gotta love the Omega Factor. Highly recommended, of course. But uh, what is it time for now, Nick? Just put the record on. Ah. It's the Randomized Electrotron, where we give you a 25% discount on a randomly selected Big Finish release. What we got, mate? We've got 233 Doctor Who Static. Oh, Static. Is that by Johnny Morris? It's Johnny Morris, starring Colin Baker and uh, Miranda Raisin. Oh. Where is it? Also starring Lisa Greenwood, uh, Flip, lovely Flip. Scott Chambers, Chris Dale, uh, David Graham, David Graham, wow, uh, Pippa Nixon, Brian Protero, uh, and Joe Woodcock. Is this directed by Jamie Anderson? By yes. I thought as much. <laughs> Janderson. That's why. Janderson. Janderson. That's why, uh, that's why David Graham's in it. There you are. Brian Prothero. What else did he do? Anyway, uh, um, yes, here's the trailer. Okay, newsflash, this isn't my wedding. And this isn't 1944. Doctor, you said you were taking me home. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Don't answer that phone. Doctor Who, static. Don't answer it. Leave it alone. Hello? Big finish. We love stories. Uh, come on, Constance. Breathe. Breathe. She's Breathe. gone, Doctor. Uh, She's no. dead. No. I can bring her back. I can save her. It's too late, Doctor. Oh, Constance. Never giving up. Never giving in. Never giving. Brian Prothero was in Survivor Series 7, the comic strip adaptations volume 1, yeah. Jago and Lightfoot Series 7, and Eldrad Must Die. That's right, because Brian was, he was in the um, the Iron Legion. That's uh, what he was in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, Jamie produced, I think, so he was involved in the casting of that. That's why I recognise him. Yeah, uh, wow. It's, it's, it's rather sort of a spooky, uh, weird sort of... Um, a story this which kind of uh, it's interesting that it's it's more, more like a horror story in a way so yeah enjoy um benji can you tell everyone uh, how to get the discount while i email jackie uh, no. to let her know no i'm not doing it not no. this time no no i can't do both things we're well, gonna have to you have to learn no well you're gonna, <laughs> of course it's time uh, you learn to stand on your own two feet now come on lad 
Um, all you have to do is go to bigfinish.com. Uh, you can find the details of the podcast on the homepage, or you can click the podcast tab to find it there. Or you can click audiobooks and find it in the Big Finish podcast range. Or, no, that's the only way. You can't do it any other way. Uh, when you've done that, just select this week's podcast, click read more, and you can see that it says the Randomoid Selectatron also features offering you a 25% reduction on the selected release. Just click here, and that's where you click to and enter the code BUCKUP, B-U-C-K-U-P, all capitals, no spaces. Just click there, enter it in, and you will get your discount. It's a fab way to build that collection. Grab a few things you might not have heard of, or mm. a few things that you've thought, mm, I, I would I would like to, to have that one day, but I can't afford it now. Well, here's a bit of money off, so, you know, grab it while you can. Uh, if you will I'm in awe of the way you do that thank you very much it's almost as if I'm reading it off a piece of paper well almost there's a lot of improvisation goes in there it's real quality it's, true. it's quality thank you thank you yeah I like you know I like to think you can bottle that in a couple of years it'll be worth something uh, <laughs> like, like a vintage bottle of brandy oh right thanks Ran uh, next week's podcast will once again be packed with big finish goodness oh, all sorts of things it's going to be great luckless <laughs> Uh, but till then of course thanks for listening to this Big Finish production don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to this podcast we'll be back full of thrills and smells next week here goodbye on the, on, on I, hadn't, I hadn't finished but oh goodbye. I'm sorry but you it's sorry no it's no, gone now no, goodbye no, what was it no what was it? It was, it was, it was fine was it? No, no, no no it doesn't matter even wanting more that's what I say goodbye oh, I bet it was good I bet it was good Time now for Robin Hood, The Witchfinders by Rebecca Levine and performed by Richard Armitage. Lovely chap. This time they had him. Hood only had two of his men with him and the sheriff was backed by ten, all on horseback while the outlaws were on foot. The bloodhounds had lost the scent but that didn't matter. There was no escape. Hood thought he'd been clever. His trail led to a brook babbling enthusiastically as its waters sped downstream. It was natural to think he'd taken to the water, using it to mask his scent. But he hadn't been quite careful enough. There, on a branch beyond the far bank, a scrap of green cloth fluttered. Another brown thread was caught on a thorn further into the thicket. The Sheriff of Nottingham's horse huffed a relieved breath as he dismounted. Through here, he shouted. They've got less than five minutes lead. Harnesses jingled as the soldiers tied their horses to the surrounding trees, all but Sir Guy of Gisborne. The wretched man sat on his mount, staring into space as if he hadn't heard a word the sheriff said. The circles under his eyes were as dark as bruises, and his hair was tangled and unwashed. Earth for Gisborne, the sheriff snapped, clicking his fingers. It took Guy a second to focus. What? He said eventually, blinking as if he'd just woken. Horse, dismount! Hood, pursue! Understand? At the mention of the outlaw's name, the haze cleared from Gisborne's eyes. 
The light that burned in them was so fierce even the sheriff looked away. Understood. There was a sound up ahead. A muffled footfall. Hood was close. He was close. He was outnumbered. And this time the sheriff would end it. I'm gonna kill him. Yes, the sheriff said. That's the general idea. Guy turned to glare at him. No, I'm gonna kill him. He drew his sword with a metallic rasp. The blade looked dull in the twilight of the forest, but the sheriff knew it was wickedly sharp. He pictured it for a moment, slicing through Robin Hood's neck. Go right ahead. Who am I to stand between a man and his unhealthy lust for revenge? For a big man, Guy was light on his feet. The outlaw must have had no idea how close death was. There was a frozen moment as Guy raised his sword and held it above his head. Then it thrust out and down, plunging into the bush that hid the outlaw. There was an inhuman yelp that made the sheriff's smile widen. Then there was the sound of a frantic, high-pitched barking, and his smile dropped. Guy swung his sword again. It missed, but the animal was driven from the bush. It was a dog. The sort of mangy cur the peasants took poaching. But someone had dressed it in clothes, a rough brown jerkin and green leggings. It was these clothes they'd seen caught on the bushes, and the dog's shadowy figure that had led them on. It stared at them insolently for a moment longer, barked once, then turned and fled into the woods. Guy let out a yell of frustration that was nearly as inhuman as the dog's bark. That scum tricked us! There's black magic, one of the soldiers muttered, crossing himself. Transforming himself into an animal, cavorting in the forest like a wild thing, laughing at us in the voice of a beast. It's the devil's work. The mark of a witch. The sheriff's head spun round so fast he heard the bones in his neck click. What did you say? Uh, I said it's black magic. Transforming himself into an animal, cavorting. Not that bit, you moron. The last thing. The man cleared his throat nervously. <clears throat> the mark of a witch. The sheriff snapped his fingers. That's it! Brilliant! Thank you, my lord. I like to believe I have a unique understanding of the supernatural. Oh, not that! That's an unmitigated heap of garbage! But people believe it. Simple, credulous, unwashed cretins such as yourself. Ah! Now. Now what, my lord? Gisborne asked. His pale face was alive with sudden interest. The sheriff pulled on his horse's reins, turning it back towards Nottingham. Now? I think I may finally have a way to solve our outlaw problem. For good! Guy woke the next day to the sound of hooves. His eyes blinked open on daylight and he realised he'd been laying in bed half the morning. It never used to be this way. Before... Before Marion's death, his dreams had been untroubled. Now, all he saw every night was the expression on her face as she died. The accusation in her eyes. It was unbearable. 
Sometimes he made himself stay awake till sunrise beyond the point of exhaustion. But when he finally succumbed to sleep, the dream still came. He'd tried every potion the apothecary had to offer and none of them could banish her from his mind. He thought perhaps he didn't want them to, because if she disappeared from his dreams, she'd truly be dead. I am dead. You killed me. His legs tangled in the sheets and he tumbled to the floor in shock. No, he said, covering his eyes. You're not real. I'm still sleeping. Marion strode towards him, green dress swirling around her legs, the sun falling in shafts through the window, casting an ethereal glow about her pale form. The floral scent of her perfume was soft in the air. You're awake, she said. Look at me, Guy. She was as beautiful as he remembered, but her green dress was stained with blood. You betrayed me, and all for Hood. He's the one who should pay for what he's done. Go and haunt him! Marion smiled sadly as she faded away with the echoes of his shout. But when his voice had died, another, louder noise took its place. Someone was banging on the door. Guy dragged himself to his feet, pulling on his leather breeches and leaving his nightshirt to flap above them. The sheriff had seen him look worse. Except it wasn't the sheriff waiting at the door. Guy had never seen this man before in his life. He wouldn't forget a man like that. He was so tall he had to stoop to fit under the lintel. But there was something awkward about his height. He looked like he spent a lot of time trying to disguise it. Bony ankles goose-pimpled in the cool air above frayed boots. But the eyes, peering over a beaky nose, were an almost silvery grey. Sharp and far too knowing. You haven't been sleeping well, the man said. His eyes narrowed. What gives you that idea? The man smiled calm in the face of Guy's fury. She will forgive you, but first, you must forgive yourself. Guy took a quick, stumbling step back. What? Who are you? I'm Hugh Alvinson, the man said. Witchfinder extraordinary, summoned by the sheriff to rid these woods of the devil who's plaguing them. Nottingham Castle was seething with people. Much eyed them suspiciously as he shuffled his way through the crowd, face hidden beneath a deep hood. Even in Sherwood they'd heard the rumours, talk about the sheriff's new strategy, the reinforcements he was calling in to help him in his hunt for Robin Hood. It wasn't exactly an unfamiliar story, but these reinforcements were like nothing he'd seen before. Who were these people? Take him, for example, wearing the coat made out of... Were those really weasels? And then there was another one who looked to be sniffing everyone who walked past. What was the sheriff up to? And there was the man himself, pushing past the skinned weasel coat and slapping the next man when he tried to sniff his shoulder. The sheriff mounted the stage to stand behind Gisborne, who slouched against a wooden pillar and scanned the crowd with overbright, almost feverish eyes. 
Much shrank back further into the shadows as a hush gradually descended over the crowd. Friends, thank you for coming. You've no idea the pleasure it gives me to see, well, most of you here. You're all, every one of you, experts in your field. There's not a single man here who hasn't burned a good few dozen witches at the stake. You probably think you know how to defeat evil. You may believe you already have, but you are wrong. Here, in Nottingham, in the heart of England, lives an evil more pure, more despicable, more downright infuriating than any demon from the depths of hell. He may wear the guise of a simple man, but Robin Hood is in league with the devil himself. This, much thought, didn't sound good. You've got to be kidding, Robin said. Much scowled. His heart was still pounding from the run back to the forest and he wished that just once Robin would take him at his word. Do I look like a man who's joking? He asked. Robin shrugged. Usually, yes. All right, but, but this time I'm deadly serious. Which finders? Little John said. He turned suddenly, suspicious eyes on Robin. You haven't been consorting with demons lately, have you? I thought I caught a glint of red in your eye by the fire last night. Robin sighed. There's no such thing as witches. If anyone's on first name terms with the devil, said Tuck, it's the sheriff. Witches might not exist, Much said, but these witch finders do. There's hundreds of them, well, dozens, and th they're all after you. But we're not witches, so they won't be able to find us. John said with that infuriating reason. But they're not looking for witches, Alan said. They're looking for us, right? Who knows what kind of powers they've got? For heaven's sake, Robin said. Witches don't exist and witch finders don't have any mysterious powers. So you're saying we're safe? Much asked dubiously. No, I'm saying the sheriff must have a different plan. Something we haven't realised yet. Guy decided the only safe option was to keep his mouth shut. He turned his gaze to the ground so he wouldn't have to look at the gangly witchfinder walking at his right hand with those terrifyingly knowing eyes, and so he wouldn't have to see Marion, somehow inexplicably walking at his left hand. I won't go away if you ignore me, she said. We've got unfinished business, you and I. Just shut up, he gritted, unable to stop himself glancing up at her. I beg your pardon? Witchfinder Hugh said. Uh, nothing, Guy growled. Just nothing. He couldn't let this man find out he was talking to ghosts. That was the kind of thing witches did, and witches got burned at the stake. So... There are rumours of fell doings in this village, are there? Evil forces, dark sightings, stuff like that? Asked Witchfinder Derek, the fair-haired, good-looking one with an expression that managed to be simultaneously calculating and slightly stupid. He didn't frighten Guy at all. He just irritated him. But the sheriff had picked these two in particular, 
and his instructions had been very clear. Even in his half-waking haze, Guy knew he'd be wise to obey them. This talk of a witch, yes. No wonder, when these villagers are said to be so close to the hooded terror himself. Guy shot him another sharp look. How could Hugh know that? He'd only been in Nottingham a day. He darted another more cautious look to his left, where Marion still walked beside him. There was a half-smile on her face, and he thought she was probably enjoying this. That would be just like her, taking pleasure in his discomfort. Are you all right? Derek asked. You're looking a little peaky, if you don't mind me saying. Yes, I do mind, said Guy coldly. They crested a ridge and finally Loxley lay spread out before them, ramshackle but lively. Children played by the stream, brown streaks of mud around their bright white smiles. Their parents watched fondly from a distance. Marion had loved this village. She'd been prepared to die to defend its people. They were worth it, she said. Look at them, Guy. They deserve better than what you're doing. And you know it. Right, Guy snarled, deliberately looking at the witchfinders instead of her. Let's get on with it. When Kate saw Gisborne enter the village beside two of the sheriff's witchfinders, she felt a knot of fear in her stomach. Fear and hatred for the man who had killed her brother, Matthew. His dark eyes swept over her as he scanned the villagers. They seemed to catch and pause a moment before moving on and she shivered.